Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Milwaukee's philanthropic community, where we highlight people and organizations who are doing great things and making a big impact in our community. Our goal is to inform, inspire, and impact our listeners so they can go out and make a difference in some way themselves. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Relations at Ellen Becker Investment Group. Today's topic of conversation is centered around the housing market in our community. Why we should focus on it, what are some of the challenges around it, and what's being done about those challenges. According to the May 2023 Milwaukee Housing Market Report, U.S. home prices are beginning to fall, but prices in Milwaukee continue to rise at a pace that's faster than anywhere else in the country. The average price for a home in Milwaukee is 219000 up 22% from a year ago. We're in a seller's market, and as a result, 67% of homes are being sold above the asking price. I've heard stories of people offering 10000 over asking just to be considered in the running. It's crazy. What chance do people that are living at or below the poverty level have for securing a home at a reasonable price? Milwaukee has the second highest poverty rate among the top 50 most populated cities in the United States, with 24% of the city living in poverty. So it's no wonder that businesses and nonprofits are focusing on this issue. My first guest today is Teague Whaley-Smith, Chief Alliance Executive from the Community Development Alliance. The Community Development Alliance is an affiliation of community development funders and practitioners that have collaborated for more than a decade on neighborhood improvement efforts in Milwaukee. Now, neighborhood improvement efforts could be a whole host of different things. So um, tell us why the Alliance is choosing to focus on housing. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, and uh, what really drives me to do this work is I really want to make Milwaukee the best place on planet Earth, particularly for those families that have been left out of the larger social, political, and economic systems. And so do all of our Alliance members that have joined this effort. And there's a lot of things that could be focused on, but we focus on housing because housing is what we consider a primary social determinant of health, meaning you need to be in stable housing to have a great education for your kids, a great job, a great uh, community with low crime and great health. Recent studies show that dropout rates are 30% lower for families that live in stable housing. Crime can do it go down by 20% if we invest in housing. And so housing has this big, big impact on all of us. And right now, the rental market in Milwaukee has become fundamentally unstable. So we as an alliance are focused on home ownership to stabilize the whole family and the whole community. Yeah, and when I was doing some research and looking at these stats, it it just amazed me that, you know, all over the country, the home prices are falling, but in Milwaukee, they continue to rise. And uh, just the being a seller's market, 67% of homes are being sold above the asking price. I mean, that's just, how is it then affordable for uh, uh, those people living in lower income categories? So, um, but I understand that collaboration is key to the work that you do and every other nonprofit who wants to maximize impact for the population they serve. So what does that collaboration look like specifically for CDA? So I think we all generally understand the benefit of working together, but there's actually a science and research behind something called collective impact. 
There's a great study done about four years ago that showed in 25 different communities that there was success in what they were working on, whether it was seatbelt usage or, uh, you know, stopping teen pregnancy or whatever the case may be. But in only five of those communities could the success really be explained by the work of the coalition rather than larger socioeconomic trends. So, for example, if you and I were working on wages for the last few years, we could declare victory and it would have nothing to do with what we were doing locally and it would have to do with these larger wage trends. But in these five communities identified in this research, they had success despite the socioeconomic trends. And what that study shows is that in working together, you want to do two fundamental things. One is you need a backbone organization to bring people together, and that's what the alliance strives to be. And then you need a common agenda. So our common agenda is something called the Collective Affordable Housing Plan, and that has been uh, developed by over 100 stakeholders and uh, has been adopted by the city of Milwaukee, Milwaukee County, the Zilber Family Foundation, Greater Milwaukee Foundation, Axe Housing, Milwaukee Habitat, and several others, so that we're all working from the same agenda. And with all of us working on the same agenda, in the last 12 months, we've been able to raise over $24 million for black and Latino home ownership. Wow. Okay. So that's so. So talk a little bit about more about that. This collective affordable housing plan. What's the objective uh, moving forward? Yeah. So Milwaukee uh, is second worst in home ownership rate for Black families, and Latino families aren't faring much better. So in order to achieve racial equity in housing, we need to support 32,000 new Black and Latino homeowners, and there's lots of strategies in the plan to do that. Some of it is protecting existing homeowners to make sure that they're not being displaced. And then there are other strategies to encourage the development of new homeowners. There's about 20 different strategies in the plan, but you can't do 20 things at once. So, uh, part, <laughs> so part <laughs> of the work, people can't, right? yeah, that's right. So part of the work of the coalition is getting to people to agree on what the first few things are to do together. So there's four main objectives that have come out of the plan that everybody's working on together. Uh, the first is to grow home buyer counseling and down payment assistance. The second is turning vacant lots into entry-level homes. The third is the acquisition fund to combat predatory investing in our community. And finally, uh, a, a lending tool called alternative lending to lend based off of rental history rather than traditional credit score. Okay, so again, there's, there's 20 strategies in the plan um, but you're focusing on those four, the acquisition fund, the down payment assistance and coaching, entry-level homes, and what was the other one? It's called alternative lending. The idea is that we have about 1,000 people that go through home buyer counseling every six months. And of those 1,000 people, only 300 of them are able to found, find a home and a loan. So we need inventory strategies to boost the amount of inventory is available but they also need credit. And what's happening in the lending community is that people are getting denied for mortgages that would cost eight, $900 a month, and they're continuing to pay $1,200 a month rent. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make any sense. Right. So we need to figure out how to illustrate that people that have paid their rent consistently over a 12-month period or longer are a really good risk for the financial institutions to invest in and provide a mortgage that would actually help them save money each month and build equity for their family. Okay, and you said that you're striving to um, to support 32,000 black and Latino homeowners. Yeah, that's right, because the biggest racial equity gaps are uh, when it comes to black and Latino households. So the white home ownership rate in the surrounding Milwaukee area is about 65%. 
For black families, it's about 30%. And what's most devastating is that it's gone down 20% over the last 10 years. Because mm. there's a practice called predatory investing, specifically focused on black and brown neighborhoods, where we have outside private equity firms that are coming in and gobbling up single-family homes and duplexes. In fact, five years ago, uh, the top three private equity firms only owned five properties you know, in the Milwaukee area. They now own over 1,500 properties in oh, the area. Oh, goodness. And what happens is that they're not offering more for these properties, but what's happening is that they don't have financing contingencies, appraisal contingencies, inspection contingencies, and things like that. So uh, oftentimes sellers are actually willing to take less. Um, and a lot of these are being transferred by portfolio sales and homeowners never have access to them. So uh, no homeowner has ever bought five properties, uh, kept one for themselves and sold the other four. So we are permanently taking away homes that are uh, have been built for homeowners in the past away from black and Latino families. Mm. Okay. Well, I think if you're listening, you might be wondering, how can I get on this list of these, these new homes that they're going to be building? Or maybe recommend someone for the list. Stay tuned because we're going to talk about who the target market is for this housing project after the commercial break. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Teague Whaley-Smith, Chief Alliance Executive from Community Development Alliance. So I'm sure you know people that would love to get on this list, if there is a list, uh, for one of these homes. Tell us who the target market is for the housing that you are building. So we're really focused on families that are making 12 to $24 an hour. On an annual basis, that's between twenty-four dollars and $50,000 a year. And the reason for that is, is a couple of reasons. One is that $50,000 is the county median income. So we're talking about serving the average Milwaukee County citizen or people that are making less uh, than that amount. Turns out the biggest racial equity decision you can make is what income group you focus on. And so we did a market segmentation of black and Latino families that are currently renting, and the vast majority of them are in that income category of making 24000 to 50000 a year. And what they can afford is a $100,000 home. So somebody making $24 an hour, if they're spending a third of their income on housing, they can afford a $100,000 home. Somebody making $12 an hour cannot However, owning that $100,000 home will be cheaper for them than the average rent in the Milwaukee County area. And so uh, we currently believe that there are about 17,000 black and Latino families that are aspiring right now to buy a $125,000 home. But in the market, there's only 1,500 of those properties available each year. And of those 1,500, 40% are purchased by investors. Mm. So the first strategy has to be to get those homes that were built for single-family homes uh, and duplexes for homeowners, get back into the hands of homeowners. But even when we do that, we still don't have enough inventory. We only built inventory in the 1960s. And so inventory hasn't been built for people's kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids. And we have four generations trying to squeeze into the housing stock that was built for one. Mm. And 40% are being snatched up. That's, that's, that's really something. A lot of the plan focuses on entry-level homes. Why is that? So I think it's important that we all tell our own housing stories. And the way that my family built intergenerational wealth was with my grandfather in Madison, Wisconsin. In the 1950s, he built an entry-level home using a VA loan. 
And we know the discriminatory practices of VA loans and FHA loans from books like Color of Law and other people that have documented how those resources weren't available for black and Latino families. And that in turn into incredible wealth uh, for our family. That house was built for $12,000 and now is worth over $300,000, mm. a price point that um, his kids and being one of his grandkids cannot afford. And that's the kind of wealth we built for white families in the 1960s and excluded black and Latino families. And so it's time to build for black and Latino families, uh, to build uh, that intergenerational wealth. And I compare that example to my friend Ray, um, whose parents and grandparents also served in the military, but their parents uh, weren't eligible for VA loans. And so they were renters their entire life. And whereas uh, I have three generation of homeowners in my family, uh, they didn't. Uh, but fortunately, through groups like Axe Housing, Ray is now a, a homeowner and is thriving and is teaching their son uh, to become a homeowner someday as well. And so these are the kind of systems that we need to build uh, for black and Latino families to increase homeownership. Mm. Well, uh, talk to us about this predatory acquisition and how that's impacting our state. Yeah, so everything that we do is really based off of resident-based planning efforts. Uh, we really want to be an accomplice to neighborhoods and do the planning uh, work that they have done and honor that planning work. And what you realize in that planning work is they're really screaming for home ownership because they know that they're being taken advantage from from a rental standpoint. And we've really seen that in Milwaukee in the last few years. Uh, we've had neighborhood stories that uh, rent has gone up from $700 a month to $1,400 a month in a matter of a year or two. And when you're already spending 30% of your income on rent, you're now spending 60% of your income right, on rent, and you, yeah, you don't have money for food, you don't have money for medicine, and you end up having to move uh, from place to place. And this is really being driven intentionally because Milwaukee is a very low regulatory environment for outside investors. And Milwaukee tried to legislate this in 2017 because they were being responsive as well. And they said, if you're going to buy a home in Milwaukee, you have to make it code compliant within 90 days, which seems like a fair middle of the road policy. Well, the state legislature came in immediately and took that authority away from the city. And so you have uh, local legislatures that have their hands tied in being responsive to their communities. And as a consequence, we've seen uh, hundreds of percent growth in outside investors coming in and targeting mm -hmm. the black and brown communities in Milwaukee because the, uh, there aren't houses in other areas of the city where they can move into, so they're stuck there, so they have a monopoly and they're able to increase those rents. And it's something that we're really seeing for the first time in our country's history. And we have to really ask ourselves, is the American dream that everyone owns their home, or is the American uh, dream, I own my home and I rent you yours? Mm. And we're at a critical point in our country. And as we know from uh, past uh, issues of predatory lending, is that these practices start in black and brown communities, but as soon as those practices are done extracting wealth there, they move on to suburbs and white communities and do the same thing. And so we should learn that lesson from 2008 and what happened with some of the speculative lending and speculative building and uh, how communities got taken advantage of and the same thing's happening right now. And we're already starting to see these private equity firms start to spread into the suburbs and they really act like locusts. They come in and buy as much as they can, and they can beat everybody in the market because they can close quickly. Uh, in the neighborhood I live in, I get a solicitation every day by phone, by text, by postcard. We've even heard reports of people getting their doors knocked on, saying, we want to buy your home. 
or using tactics that we haven't seen since the 1960s before the Fair Housing Act, saying your, in, your area has been designated as a low-income area. You should sell your home now. So this is the kind of stuff that's happening, and it's really taking away opportunities that were, were given to families in the 60s uh, but weren't given uh, to, to other families depending on the color of your skin, and these practices continue today. Mm. Wow. Uh, how are the residents involved in the strategy, if at all? Yeah, um, residents are at the core of the strategy. So we have incredible partners that have invested in providing the resources to residents to create uh, amazing um, community-based plans. So I'll give you an example of the Fond du Lac and North plan, which is an area that I live in uh, and is around uh, 35th Street and Fond du Lac Avenue. For people that know the city, probably about two miles north of the baseball stadium and maybe about a half mile east, not too far away from the Master Lock facility that just made big news that it's uh, closing. And in that Fond du Lac and North plan, for the first time in the city's history and really with foundations, instead of hiring outside consultants to come and say and tell people what's best, they invested heavily in a resident collaboration to identify what residents wanted in their area. And specifically in a couple neighborhoods like Lindsay Heights uh, and the uh, Amani neighborhood, those neighborhoods identified that they want new construction homes on the vacant lots, and they also want permanent affordability. So they've been working on something called a community land trust. So using the example that I gave earlier of my grandfather, uh, that built wealth for one generation in American history. It wasn't intergenerational wealth. It was generational wealth, one generation. I can't afford my grandfather's home. My kids won't be able to afford his home. Uh, so we need to figure out a way if we're going to invest in these homes that they're affordable for multiple generations. And the way the Community Land Trust works is essentially uh, you're able to get the home at an affordable price as long as you agree to sell it at an affordable price when you okay. decide to move. And this, these are the kind of things that residents are calling out for in the plan. So similar to the way that you might tell an architect, hey, I need a house, um, the, the residents have spoken and said, hey, I need, we need housing. We are now sort of in the architect's position that we design housing solutions as a team. And then we have to come back to the, the, the customer, right, and say, did we get it right? So we invest heavily in resident collaboration. We have a full-time uh, resident collaboration director, uh, Cordella Jones, who is just fantastic. And uh, her goal is to host at least 36 community-based resident sessions every year in order to make sure that the plans that we are coming with are actually responsive to what communities uh, are asking for. Uh, so again, these plans are screaming for home ownership and they're screaming for accomplices to come in and help execute their vision. And that's what CDA is in the business of doing is getting as many accomplices as possible. So the banks that have joined us, the foundations that have joined us, the city, the county, the state, uh, resident groups, all working from the same playbook to say enough is enough. It's time for a new chapter in Milwaukee's history. Mm. Wow, very interesting. Uh, I'm sure people listening um, may know of some people, if not themselves, um, that want to get involved uh, in some way. How would someone go about doing that? Yeah, so two things. For If you know someone who is a potential homeowner, the best thing to do is to get to Take Root Milwaukee. Uh, so if you just Google Take Root Milwaukee and get folks to Take Root Milwaukee, uh, they have all the tools necessary to match you up with the right home buyer, counselor, et cetera. Just as important is if you are already a homeowner, but you care about your neighbors and want to make sure that they're homeowners too, we really need support from everybody when it comes to policy changes and other funding opportunities. 
So we would ask that you join our network at the Alliance and become an accomplice to the residents in these areas. And you can do that by going to housingplan.org and uh, subscribing to our email list. Uh, And you can also reach out to me directly at ideas at housingplan.org. Ideas at housingplan.org. Got that right. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I've learned a lot. I hope our listeners have as well. Um, And if you uh, want additional information, like we said, go to housingplan.org to talk to Teague or anyone else in in the organization. So um, thank you for being here and participating in the interview today. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Providing affordable housing in our community is no small task. Partnerships, collaborations, they're all so necessary in order to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And that was part of what was discussed already. In the second half of the show, we'll learn about a partner of CDAs that is also committed to improving the quality of life in our community. So stay tuned to hear more. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Relations. My next guest today is Gina Stilp, Executive Director of the Zilber Family Foundation. The Zilber Family Foundation is a private grant-making institution dedicated to enhancing the well-being of individuals, families, and neighborhoods. They work with and support nonprofits and communities to address basic needs and ensure personal safety and improve the quality of life in neighborhoods. Welcome to the show today, Gina. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So the Zilber Family Foundation has several focus areas, one of which is affordable housing. Um, Tell us, give us some history about the Zilber Family Foundation and share with us why is affordable housing a key pillar for you? Well, when you hear the history of the foundation, it will make a little more sense for you. So we were founded in the early 60s by a local real estate developer, Joseph Zilber, and his wife, Vera. And Joe and Vera are Milwaukee natives. Uh, Joe graduated from Marquette University Law School, top of his class. And upon graduation, uh, was exiting university, trying to get his first job, and faced a lot of discrimination in Milwaukee because of his Jewish background and upbringing. And so rather than uh, practice law, despite being top of his class, he moved into the real estate market. And so his first uh, job in Milwaukee was was selling residential Uh, real estate. And he was um, an exceptional entrepreneur, a visionary individual, and really saw the value of the built environment. And so very quickly um, expanded his business into all manner of real estate development. And now today, the Zilber Limited Corporation still operates in Milwaukee. It's headquartered downtown. And we still develop real estate across uh, seven states in the U.S. Oh, wow. And so Mr. Zilber's legacy is, is really known um, broadly for, for office buildings, for um, mid to upper income level uh, homes. So um, out in Oconomowoc, he would do you know, spec development. Um, and then a lot of vacation homes across coastal communities. And so we have the the residential development uh, DNA, so to speak, within the organization. Um, and we heard earlier in the segment Teague talking about 
how families have uh, benefited from FHA loans in the post-war era in the U.S. And Mr. Zilber actually did benefit from that as the developer mm. on that side. And so okay. we see this full circle story coming where um, Mr. Zilber and his community were able to build a lot of wealth and do that through home ownership and other real estate investments. Yet, as he was um, ending his career and winding down in his late 80s and early 90s, he went back to the neighborhood in Milwaukee where he grew up, uh, Lindsay Heights, which is on the near north side. Mm-hmm. And what he saw um, was just you know, decline all over, physical decline, um, crime in the area that he grew up and he felt safe playing in. He saw the closure of public facilities where he went swimming and the movie theater that was gone. And so as he was taking account of what kind of legacy he wanted to leave in the city of Milwaukee, um, he decided to really go big with his philanthropy. And so I am the, the lucky individual who gets to help steward that um, philanthropic legacy on his family's behalf. And he seeded the foundation with about $100 million in the early 2000s with a big vision to improve quality of life in neighborhoods. And where better place to start than with the housing stock in those communities that had been so um, intentionally divested. Mm, Wow. Well, what does the Zilber Family Foundation see as the barriers to affordable housing in our communities? The foundation really sees the decades of discriminatory housing practices um, contributing to this you know, epic decline in home ownership rates for, for black and brown families in our community. And that's really coupled with very low wages in the city of Milwaukee. Um, we have a lot of single single parent households who are raising children and trying to do that on 10, 12, $15 an hour jobs, um, which requires them to be out of the house, working multiple jobs. The, the circumstances in which they're trying to thrive are really um, difficult. And the systems that have allowed uh, that perpetual uh, economic crisis continue to really hold people back from, from economic opportunity. And so much of the work that the foundation does is both on addressing those immediate needs that we see, which is perhaps there's a family in crisis who is looking for shelter or who is looking for food assistance, um, but that's really, you know, the, the front end of the problem. What we want to get ourselves to and get our partners to is looking at why do those problems exist in the first place? And so that takes us back to that systems lens of what are the policies and what are the systems and what are the circumstances that are um, creating generational poverty instead of ger- generational wealth in our community. Okay, so then what are some of the solutions then that your partners are implementing to improve the affordable housing challenge? Well, there's no doubt that the um, complexity of the issues that we face requires uh, many partners and and many people who are smarter than I am on these issues. And so the foundation looks to coalition building. It looks to partners like the Community Development Alliance who are able to take a deep dive on a particular issue and then make recommendations on behalf of residents, of communities, of stakeholders, so that we can all align around a set of strategies. I think um, when we deal with these issues that are so pervasive, it can be overwhelming for all of us to think about where where do we start? Right, I mean, how do you right. start rebuilding wealth? How do you start rebuilding a whole neighborhood that has seen decline over 50 years? Um, and so I think we really lean into that opportunity to to fund and to resource organizations like CDA 
who are, are now our go-to, so to speak, on um, what are the issues and what are the solutions. And so we do look at um, both those immediate needs in the housing space, but then also at those bigger uh, issues at play around access to capital, around um, innovation and building. You know, how can we decrease the cost and increase the environmental um, quality of homes that we're building today? How can we make sure that residents have a seat at the table when we're talking about the solutions that are most important to them in the places that they live? So we really look to build those partnerships um, and forge really strong relationships that are rooted in trust and us listening and hearing the community first before we come in and try and offer an intervention or a solution. Mm, I think that's key, actually. You know, you have the right people at the table. You yeah, know, and it takes a long time. I think when you when you think of the history of these communities and the amount of broken trust, um, between institutions, whether that's government or, you know, big business or big university, you know, a lot of people feel let down and left out. And so um, starting with that approach of, of listening first, uh, breaking bread with people mm-hmm. and, and showing up um, is really important to us being successful in this work. Absolutely. Um, well, the organizations that you partner with, they can't, they can't do what they do without the help and support, including financial support from people and organizations in our community like the Zilber Family Foundation. So stay tuned to find out how ZFF, or Zilber Family Foundation, is providing support that is driving change in our community. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Relations, and I'm talking in our last segment today with Gina Stilp, Executive Director of the Zilber Family Foundation. So, Gina, the, the partners that you work with, they really couldn't do what they do without the help and support, including financial support, um, without nonprofits like the Zilber Family Foundation. So tell us how ZFF is supporting these organizations that are driving change in our area. The Zilber Family Foundation is, as you said, a grant-making institution. So our core priority is to distribute um, really flexible support to organizations that are expert in the issues that we fund. So that means um, we deploy about 10 to $15 million every year into our community. Um, the large majority of that goes to organizations that are working on issues that all of us are familiar with. So homelessness, um, improving quality of rental housing, increasing avenues for homeownership, um, economic developments. So we want to make sure that if we've got great housing, that we've got great small businesses in mm. those same neighborhoods right, right. to support and that the commercial corridors are vibrant. And so we really look at all of these, layering these opportunities for neighborhoods. And so we, um, on an annual basis, we support anywhere from 50 to 80 nonprofit organizations wow. in Milwaukee. So we know a lot about all the wonderful things that are happening in our community. You can recommend some different nonprofits for the show, can't you? I sure can. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, in the housing space, which is really what we're focused on today, there's a couple, I think, really neat things happening. Um, You know, we've, I think one of the themes is is collaboration and partnership is the way for us to um, really organize ourselves and, and see change in the areas that we want. 
There's a great um, group in Milwaukee working together called Reclaiming Our Neighborhoods, which started as a a grassroots effort of some community members to come out and say, you know, the quality of the housing in our neighborhood is problematic and we want to do something about it. And so they're using, I think, this great combination of grassroots organizing and resident engagement with technology where volunteer groups are going out into the community and doing surveys of all of the properties in their neighborhoods. They now have surveys of over 25,000 units in the city. And this is all now in an app, in a database. Hmm. And they can go There's back. There's an app for that. There's an app for everything. <laughs> There's always an app for it. <laughs> and they have this really robust data set now that says, how many properties in our community need a new roof? How many mm. have broken windows? How many have a co-compliant issue that needs to be reported to the city of Milwaukee so that we can hold landlords accountable for maintaining their properties? And so what that does is um, inform the Community Development Alliance about what are the other issues that residents are seeing on their walk to school or on their walk to work or to the bus stop that we might not see every day when we're thinking about policy or big systems change things. And so both are important. Um, and then when we find out about those those residents that have said, there's three houses on my block that need repairs, we want to make sure that we're offering a solution mm-hmm. to those those community groups. Because as we were saying, trust is everything. And so don't name a problem if you can't try right. and fix it. Right. So there's groups that we work with, um, like Revitalize Milwaukee, mm-hmm. which is just a f- another wonderful nonprofit that uh, partners with homeowners who are income limited. Uh, many are senior citizens uh, or veterans, and they provide free home repairs. And talk about um, surprise. You know, I've worked in, in nonprofits and in housing for most of my career. And when you walk into a home where families are living with holes in their bathroom floors and with exposed electrical outlets, um, where where you know, families in wheelchairs don't have, have ramps, don't have any accessibility, um, it really it still surprises me that this is um, pervasive in our community. And so um, Revitalize Milwaukee is doing phenomenal work in trying to solve that. They're I actually sh- interviewed them uh, a couple so of glad. years ago. Yeah, yeah, great organization. And we just, um, because of the, the surveys that our residents have done, we identified the need for new roofing in Milwaukee. And that was a service that Revitalize was unable to provide because it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. And so the foundation just um, awarded grant funding specifically to repair 50 roofs in the Lindsay Heights community uh, to really make sure that we're preserving those homes as soon as the roof starts leaking the rest of the problems follow. So those are a couple examples of um, partners that we've worked with for a long time who I think are being really innovative um, and adapting to the needs that they're seeing out in our neighborhoods. Nice. Very nice. Well, the Zilber Family Foundation has done some innovative things with regard to grant making and improving not only the lives of those being served by the nonprofits you support, but also uh, you're addressing the individuals at the nonprofits themselves, right? Talk to us about the gratitude grants and their impact. So, you know, everyone thinks foundations are all about grant making. And while that is very true in core to what we do, um, another area that the Zilber Family Foundation focuses on is what we call capacity building. And so we want to make sure that the organizations who are providing care in our community are well-resourced, are, uh, have flexible money where they can decide, you know, should we be spending this on staff support or on lights or on the program uh, that's happening in the community? And so we really ask a lot of questions of our partners. You know, how are you doing? What do you need? How can we help you? And during the pandemic, um, you know, I think a lot of us heard about this great resignation that was happening across the country. Um, families were, one, burned out from having to care for family at home and teach their kids at home. 
and then also show up in very high demand, high stress jobs um, in homeless shelters or in a substance use treatment center or in a hospital. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen a lot of um, nonprofit organizations struggle to retain staff and the staff that they are retaining are struggling um, with their own mental health, with financial instability. And so the foundation team came together and said, you know, what can we possibly do? Um, if we can't take care of the caretakers, we're going to mm -hmm. further end up in this cycle. And so what we thought was just um, a nice thing to do was at the end of the year, we awarded grants to all of our nonprofit partners, um, really modest amounts. You know, we're talking $2,500 to $10,000 grants. And the restriction on that money was you must use this to take care of your team. Mm. Um, and so that's wonderful. What a nice blessing. It, and yeah, a very nice blessing. And also it was one of those humbling moments where it was such a small amount that meant so much to the executive directors and the leadership teams. Um, we heard, you know, story on story of, I mean, tears coming down cheeks of executive directors saying, I didn't know how I was going to say thank you to my team this year. Mm. We weren't going to be able to have a holiday party. Um, I feel guilty if I spend any of the donations that we get on us. You know, we want to spend it all on the people that we're serving. And so to have that space and that permission to to just say thank you and take a break was revitalizing for those teams. And so it's a practice that the foundation um, really wants to continue and one that we want to continue other uh, funders, other individual donors to think about. You know, when you walk through the doors of an organization, many of us focus on outcomes and results. And those are absolutely important. Right, right. Um, but I think we forget sometimes that you know, it's a whole lot of people who are working um, for a lot less money than the corporate sector mm -hmm. and who are taking on a, a huge weight in our community um, who also need to be appreciated and cared for. So we, mm -hmm. we hope to build that into the way that the Milwaukee philanthropic sector is thinking about our, our partnership. Mm, that's, that's wonderful. Gratitude grants. Got some ideas for other nonprofits out there, right? That's that's wonderful. Um, well, tell us what's next for the Zilber Family Foundation. Like, what what projects or announcements are in the works? Any additional focus areas, things like that? You know, I think the exciting thing about CDA is that there are four big strategies and priorities in the housing plan, and none of those can be solved in a year, or in two, or in five. And so we look at a lot of our investments as as long term. Um, we've been working in the same three neighborhoods in the city of Milwaukee since 2008. And while we've seen incredible uh, projects and programs and improvements in those places, we are up against decades of disinvestment in those communities. And so it's not always sexy to say we're going to do the same thing in a lot of ways. We want to continue to make sure that we're fortifying backbone organizations that are doing the strategy work and the alignment work. We want to make sure that we're resourcing um, what we call the implementers, so the axe housings, the revitalizes, the mm -hmm. HRIs who are doing the homebuyer counseling so that we have a pipeline of individuals who are ready when we solve the, the supply side. Um, and we want to look at innovation in development. We're, we're very excited to be partnering with VIA CDC on the construction of some model homes in both the Layton Boulevard West neighborhood and the Lindsay Heights neighborhood that are um, will be the first of their kind. They'll be manufactured housing that are, are built on site. And it, think of it like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, you can frame out the house in two days with a mallet. 
Wow. And it is going to help us think about ways that we can reduce not only the cost of construction, which has been going up and up and up, um, but to think about how can we build housing that is um, more suited to particular environments, that is more environmentally friendly, that's adaptable. So maybe you can only afford you know, a thousand square feet now, but if you could build onto that house in a very easy way and in, mm. in an affordable way in 10 years or in five years, um, how can we think about making sure families can expand into the space where they're already living? So those, um, you know, innovation and design and innovation in, uh, as Teek was talking about earlier, making sure that we can find capital for families. And so one of the other ways the foundation tries to um, be a benefit and an asset to the community is in um, influencing others to think about their resources. And so um, a lot of us don't have checks that we can write to organizations. Um, you know, you might think $10 isn't going to make a world of difference, but I think our message to everyone is we all have something that we can offer. And so whether that is a $10 check or that's joining the mailing list so that you're informed about the issues that we um, care about and support, or if it's volunteering or lending your professional expertise. Um, we have some great examples through CDA where retired executives have come forward and offered to mentor the next generation in project management mm -hmm. or in finance. And I think it's um, we can all kind of take that inventory and encourage our networks to take that inventory of ourselves around how can we um, be connected to the community in a way that makes us all feel like we're building a stronger Milwaukee, yeah. which builds a stronger region. Uh, and Absolutely. so that's exciting, yeah. exciting work for us. I think, you know, some of the other um, opportunities we see, I had our, you know, the foundation also works in the area of uh, domestic violence and substance use treatment. And we have seen since uh, the pandemic, really a shocking increase in, in drug use and overdose and in particularly violence against um, women of color. And so all of that, again, leads back to the, the inability for families to have stable housing. Um, you find frequently that, that women who are in a violent situation or in an unsafe home don't want to be there, but they don't have other housing options. And right. so you find families that are um, seeing substance use problems frequently don't have affordable or uh, supportive housing options for those families. And so when we talk about the foundation's interest in housing, you know, looking ahead, we're, we're trying to connect that interest in housing to the broad range of the social determinants of health or you know, health equity, more broadly speaking, um, in the Milwaukee market. And so I hope that we can continue to play um, really a vital role, whether it's through our, our dollars, through our uh, partnership with both communities and other funders, or through you know, our, our influence, so to speak, um, that we can raise up uh, these issues to a, to a bigger audience around the community. Well, and I think what you're doing is um, you're just making other people aware that everybody can do something. Yeah, we're not all called to do everything, but we can do something. We can all do something in some way, mm -hmm. exactly, to make a difference. So, can you give us your contact information if someone's listening and they want to be a part of the Zilber Family Foundation in some way, advocate for you, you know, donate or whatever, what's the best way for them to do that? Yes, the best way is to go to zilberfamilyfoundation.org. 
or just Google Zilber Family Foundation. And on our website, you'll find a list of all of the grants that we've awarded. And so you can learn a lot more about the nonprofit organizations doing great work in Milwaukee um, and link to their websites as well. So zilberfamilyfoundation.org. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. That's an easy one, zilberfamilyfoundation.org. Well, I want to thank you, Gina Stilp, Executive Director of the Zilber Family Foundation. And I want to thank, again, our first guest, Teague Whaley-Smith, Chief Alliance Executive from the Community Development Alliance. Thank you both for sharing how you make an impact in our community in the area of housing and beyond. I appreciate you participating in our interview today. Thank you. You're welcome. If you'd like further information about what we talked about today, you can reach out directly to Zilber Family Foundation or the Community Development Alliance. And if you know of a great organization like ZFF or CDA or great people, maybe even some children that are making a difference in our community and you think they'd make a great guest for our show, email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Tune in next Sunday morning at 10 to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community to learn more about the ways people and organizations are contributing to making our community a great place to live, to work, and to play. You can tune in to News Talk 1130 on your radio, or you can go to Newstalk1130.com on your computer, or you can listen on your cell phone via the iHeartRadio app. And I encourage you to visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows And you can now listen on demand at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcast. Our guests today have shared the many ways they're making a difference in the lives of others in our community in the area of housing and others, other areas. And I encourage you to give some thought to how you can make a difference in some way for someone in our community as well. That could be by donating, volunteering, advocating for an organization whose mission is something that you're passionate about as well. Doing so is a great way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Thank you for listening today and have a great day.